You're listening to the Full of Hope podcast. I'm RJ Hurd, and today we'll be talking to breast cancer survivor, Joe Gartenberg, where we'll find out how she navigated multiple caregivers and specialists to achieve complete remission. We're gonna rely on you to grow our podcast, so please share it with anyone and everyone, because with so many options for things you can watch, read, and listen to, shouldn't one of them keep you full of hope? And now, your host, Ryan Kiggins. Hey, it's Ryan. I'm finally accepting the fact that it seems like I'm just going to have a hard time introducing the podcast with the guest on the show, so I'm just getting comfortable here in post-production. Like a lot of these beginning episodes, most of them are going to be firsts, so this happens to be the first woman that we have on the podcast as well as the first breast cancer survivor. So get ready to hear some of the really, really cool things she's done uh, after beating breast cancer and how she got there. Thanks for uh, joining the podcast. We really appreciate you calling in. Sure. Yeah, so we're, we're very excited to share your story. I, I want to let you tell it. So before we even really find out um, what your situation was, how about if you just share with us a little bit about what your kind of family situation was? What was your home dynamic? right before you got sick, right before you noticed any, any symptoms or anything was wrong? Okay. Um, well, I guess ca- cancer has been in my family for a long time. Um, my mom had breast cancer, was diagnosed at age 50. She ended up passing away at age 57 from um, a different lung cancer, but somewhat related. Um, so because of that, um, you know, I've been getting tested for years and years. Oh, really? Okay. What age did you start getting tested? I when I was 30. Okay. 30. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was um, 27 when she passed away. Right. And, um, and so, um, you know, so it's been, you know, I just, every year just get tested, get tested. Everything was just absolutely fine. But, um, you know, I have, you know, in terms of, you know, my background, I mean, I'm originally from Boston, my husband's from New Jersey, but we met in DC and, um, and we have three boys, um, 24, 21 and 19. Okay. And, um, that's how old they are today. That's how they, that's how old they are today. Okay. Yes. Okay. Right on. Yeah. And we just celebrated our 25th anniversary. Oh, congrats. Uh, nice. Thanks. Yeah. And when, uh, when was that? Um, that was May. Oh, right on. And because of COVID, um, actually everybody was living at home. And so, um, with, with you, the, yes, at your home. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Even though two of apartments in Seattle and the other one was at WSU, but that, you know, he came home freshman oh. year and, but they all stayed, they were going back and forth. So they had a shelter in place someplace. So they decided here would be fun. And so, um, actually for our anniversary, they, they, um, cooked us dinner and served it to us. Oh, how cool is that? It was pretty fun. Yeah. We called it, um, kind of having them all here at those ages, it was like finishing school. Yeah, right. And you realize just all the stuff that they weren't just doing. So um, anyhow. <laughs> but at least they thought it was fun to go to your place. I hope that when my kids get older. <laughs> yeah, for the most part, it was eye-opening. Um, it definitely was eye-opening. But um, yeah, so anyhow, I, um, you know, so I work very part-time um for a small computer consulting company doing everything non-technical um i um i you know i've been active and working out for a long time i love to play tennis um hike um i have two dogs and go with them all the time um so i've always been active but i've also had you know some orthopedic issues as well eight years ago i had back surgery from a disc and um had knee surgery and you know my body doesn't really like tennis but I still keep going at it um <laughs> was that all from pounding type of activities those surgeries I guess so I'm not sure it wasn't anything specific but it just kind of gives you some background into you know I've I'm pretty good with pain and yeah and you know I also had three c-sections so I've had a lot of surgery even prior to this whole thing wow yeah um so I guess two and a half years ago, I guess December of 17, I went for my annual mammogram and I got called back and I hadn't been called back before. 
and Dave was actually, my husband was actually in New York on business and I didn't even tell him I got called back because I thought, oh, it'll be nothing because it's been nothing all the way through. Um, so my sister-in-law actually went with me. She's like, oh, I'll just go to the mall after and um, make a date I, of it. Yeah, sure yeah. enough. So I went back for the second mammogram. They did an ultrasound and it, and then the um, radiologist comes out, a doctor comes out and she looks down at me and she's like, well, I'm sorry to tell you this, but it's cancer. You're going to have to see a surgeon and an oncologist. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> that was like the the first uh-huh. communication. Wow. Yeah. She did say she was sorry, though. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. Was your friend with you when she was I telling you this? Like, um, she was in the lobby, so I had her go get her because my sister-in-law is a nurse. And um, so she came in and just like, how do you know this? You know, da, 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 da. And she's like, oh, I've been doing this a long time and I just know. So there sort of began the whole sort of process. And I had to call my husband. He was in a, a lift in New York. <laughs> I'm sure Getting that a ride. driver got an ear, earful. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So, my goodness. Yeah. So you so, hadn't been feeling any symptoms though, or hadn't really noticed anything. It was just really a result of regular yearly testing. Yeah. And honestly, because of um, some back and hip issues, I had been working out and doing all those kind of core exercises that nobody really likes to do. So I was probably the strongest and fittest and, and fittest and thinnest I've been in a long time. So yeah. Um, go figure. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I think maybe that's a plug, at least for regular testing, you know, for those who might be listening, um, because, you know, had you not been testing regularly, who knows what might have happened, right? Or, you right. know, it, it's not like you went in because you were experiencing something specific. So, you know, that may be something that could be helpful to, to folks just to keep in mind is, is how effective regular testing can be. And also self-checking as well. And so um, I have something that's referred to as dense breasts, meaning they're really lumpy. And so it's really hard to know what's a lump and what's a lump. So there's ways, you know, you can check that, which I now know much better. And um, and I actually help out with um, Rivkin.org doing um, educational um educational seminars, workshops, parties, they call them to sororities, to businesses, to whoever. And, you know, we teach women what to look for and what to do and how to self-check and everything else. And it's a science-based curriculum. Wow. Now what's that called? Rifkin? R-A-F? Rifkin.org. They oh. do, they're ovarian cancer research, but they do breast and ovarian cancer outreach. R-I-V-K-I-N. R-I-V-K-I-N.org. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right on. Yeah. Very cool. That's awesome that you started doing that. I'm guessing, I'm guessing you did that after you got treated or, oh, yeah. or yeah. <laughs> a okay. lot of things happened after. Yeah, sure. Um, and okay. So, so you find out she, she just kind of blurts it out, breaks the yep. news to you. You've got cancer. Mm -hmm. So wh when you hear that news, like where, where does your mind go? Like in that moment? You know, you I just thought of my mom, you know, and I'm like, oh gosh, you know, here we go again. And it just, it was just so super scary. And at that point you don't have a lot of information and, you know, and then, so then it all sort of begins until you figure out who you need to see, where you need to go. So the place I got tested, I love, I ended up meeting a surgeon there and I really loved him. Um, so I opted to do surgery there, but I didn't like the, I was, I didn't, the oncologist was really qualified, but I didn't hit it off with him. So I mm. ended up getting a second opinion, which I would recommend anybody to do. Sure. So I ended up doing my oncology someplace else. And then I actually did my radiation someplace else. It was, wow. I wasn't planning on doing it that way. It just happened. Yeah. Well, so tell me a little more about not hitting it off. Like what does, what did that look like to you? Um, I felt he was totally capable but, you know, your oncologist is somebody you're going to be having a relationship with for a while, <laughs> a long time. And, um, and I just felt like he sort of treated me like a flow chart mm -hmm. and actually showed me a flow chart. Well, if you have this, then you do this. And if you have that, you do that. And it just sort of felt 
maybe it is a standard kind of cancer I have, which is fine, but it's, I, I'm not a standard person and I don't want to be treated that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So that's a great perspective, actually. Probably something that would be really good for caregivers to hear. Um, in in your work with Rivkin, do you do any sort of outreach or, or um, feedback process with caregivers at all? Have you, have you provided that type of feedback? With caregivers? Um, well, some of the people there are, I mean, it depends who's at the workshop. Hmm. Um, you know, we've been out to different companies and different, um, different um, book groups, different, you know, so people have different roles in their lives. So you're never really sure who you're, you're hitting, but there, they have the um, educational person that kind of explains all the signs and symptoms of ovarian and breast cancer in a fun, interactive way. And then with them is a survivor who either an ovarian or breast cancer survivor who tells their story, kind of like what I'm doing now. And they found that by having somebody tell their story, it sort of solidifies the educational piece of it. Yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I totally dig that. So, so interesting. So your care involved multiple different people at different facilities, right? I'm guessing that was just due to your like due diligence and finding who you connected with best, the people that you thought could provide the most best care for you, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I met with the surgeon and um, I did really like him. And then we also uh, did some um, genetic testing for the, um, there's a BRCA1 and 2 gene that if you have that, there's an 80% chance you're going to be, you're going to have breast or ovarian cancer. So right. that I tested negative for, even though my mom was, had cancer. Interesting. So it still runs, it still runs in the family. You tested negative for that. Yeah. And I had someone really close to me who we went through that with too. And the, the thought process of what, what decisions you're going to make is a very personal thing, right? You can, what you can just remove the lump or you choose to do the full, you know, double mastectomy. And mm-hmm. did they, did they tell you the size of it? Like right at yeah, the beginning? Yeah. So, so that's wh- what I was getting to. Um, so it was 3.2 centimeters. And so it was fairly, you know, big, but I didn't notice it because like I said, I have a lot of other little lumps and stuff. And I just, after a while, I just sort of stopped self-checking a little bit and figured Oh, the mammogram or my annual appointment, you know, it will get checked. And because I just couldn't tell anymore. It was just too hard to tell. And then in, and even prior to this whole thing, you know, I they asked if I wanted to get genetic testing because of my mother. And I chose not to because I didn't know I wanted to go through such drastic measures for something I didn't have. Yeah. So there was for me personally, I just didn't want to know. Right. Yeah, I think Um, it's one of those things where it's kind of amazing that that testing exists, right, to help people who might want to have an early indication. But the fact that it's not, it's just an indicator, right, that you you have a high susceptibility. But um, I think there's a real fine line between wanting to be armed with information that's meaningful to you, and then the potential of kind of living in fear. If you get a positive diagnosis, like I, I don't, I have no idea if, if I would so choose to have a test like that that could give me indicators. It's it's really a it's an interesting thing. And frankly, um, you tested negative for that, right? Even though right. you were diagnosed with breast cancer, I guess it did it change your outlook on your concern about ovarian cancer did it make you feel better like maybe that's not something you have to worry as much about well there is a big link between breast cancer and ovarian cancer um but because i did test negative i'm not it's not on the forefront of my mind and it's not a surgery i need to have done at this moment so but yeah so i you know because i tested negative um I, and I talked to my surgeon about it and I also talked to the oncologist about it. I decided to have a, um, a left mastectomy, um, partially because that tumor was a good sized tumor. And I also had um, some calcifications as well in another tiny little spot. So by the time they did a lumpectomy, I wouldn't have anything left anyhow. So that one at least was an easy decision. 
um, and I chose to just do the one side. I could have done the other preventatively, but again, I'm so active and I just wanted to be as active as possible for as long as possible. And the surgeons don't really like removing parts that um, they don't need to. I see. So I just figured, you know, if I have to go through this again in, you know, five years, 10 years, two years, whatever, then that's a choice I made and I'm okay living that way. Yeah. So uh, just a, a side note for people just listening to the podcast, Joe's standing outside and it's gorgeous, but I think maybe a plane just flew by in case you were wondering what that weird, <laughs> weird sound was that we picked up on. Um, so you move inside if you need. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's, this is fine. I think it's, okay. it's yeah. good. No, that's way, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, Where are you at? Are you? In my backyard. Yeah, which but, I is mean, geographically. Oh, like Bellevue, you... um, in Bellevue, oh, South Bellevue. Oh, Right on. Yeah, we're... So, so how much time elapsed between you found out, you know, you you have cancer? How much time lapsed between then and when you're now deciding to go ahead and have a left mastectomy? Um, so I ended up having that surgery in February. So I had the mis- I had the mammogram in December. And then now we're in February. The other interesting thing was, um, you know, we got some testing back. And so my um, cancer was estrogen positive, which is actually a good thing because there's something you can take to help, you know, prevent that. Um, And we, you know, so it it was a pretty straightforward cancer, not a terribly complicated one. Um, And it looked like it was pretty straightforward. I also had a breast MRI and everything looked good. They thought the lymph nodes looked good. You know, it was looking like, looking like is different than is, um, that I was just, I was just going to have the mastectomy and I opted to also do reconstructive surgery and um, at the same time. And then it looked like I would go on a medicine called tamoxifen, which is an estrogen blocker. Okay. Um, So So that was the plan. Yep. So I had the surgery and then they test it and there's a couple of different tests they can, you know, they also, you know, biopsy analyze it and everything else, but there's one test called an Oncotype DX test and that can, it's a genome test and it tells if you are, it's for um, estrogen positive early stage cancer. So I was um, at stage two. And so they decided that um, that we would do that I qualified for this test. There's also another test called the Mammoprint, and it's very similar to the Oncotype DX, but it's also a little bit more accurate. The Oncotype DX test has a lot of gray area to it, where the Mammoprint is either your high risk or your low risk. So they they're deciding that these other tests are applicable after they do this the surgery the mastectomy yeah they 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 because then they can analyze the um tissue really interesting so um how does the surgery work like is it in how long were you in the hospital for um Um, one night one one night and then you checked out the next day yeah so what i opted to have done was uh, in all plus and i met with a plastic surgeon also and the one recommended by my surgeon i figured if he's been around a while and if he likes to work with this guy it's good enough for me um yeah, they so work together, right? yeah, yeah. Work. there are different thoughts on plastic surgery and reconstruction and that's a whole other um the <laughs> whole other thing but i opted to have the reconstruction done at the same time i was also able to save my um my skin and nipple. So um, they put something in called an expander, which is kind of a wire, uh, a wire sack, a wire with a sack of saline, basically. And so when I woke up, there was something there. So for me, that was important. And also it, it prevented one more surgery. Sure. Yeah. So I was all for less surgery. And that was my goal. So when you woke up, the mastectomy was done as well as the reconstruction. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, well, the reconstruction wasn't done, but the right the they expander just... was put in to is like a placeholder, right? And they, yeah. and they can you know fill it, you know. And actually, it was it was um, I didn't really need it filled, you know. It was the right size and everything else, so it was. You, oh. The mastectomy itself is actually not that 
awful of surgery. It's the reconstruction that's a bitch on it. Oh, really? So, yeah. so how so? Um, well, it wasn't as painful. It wasn't as hard as my back surgery, but um, it definitely, you know, you you can't move. You're numb. You you know, it's just it's just weird feeling, and it's just yeah. different. And you can't move your arm that much, and there's pulling and all sorts of strange nerve ending things going on. Oh, so couldn't wash uh, your own hair, right? Well, like, event, yeah. Well, that took a little time, but the other right. problem was, um, you know, I had a drain, and so you're not allowed to shower with a drain. So that was, you know, a lot of baby wipes. Our goal at the Full of Hope podcast is to hear from and share with as many people as possible. This is where we need your help. Please tell your friends and family about us so that we can grow. If you want to share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com and fill out the form on the Get On Our Podcast page. Or search for Full of Hope Podcast on all social media platforms and reach us there. We ourselves are full of hope that we can help thousands of people, but we can't do it without your help. So thank you for helping us grow. And so um, I ended up getting the test back from the mama print, and that ended up being high risk for cancer coming back. So because of that, going my plan to go from mastectomy to tamoxifen kind of got um, waylaid a little bit. So we ended up, I ended up having to go through um, chemo, not, not a ton of it, four rounds over um, one every three weeks. And, um, and then um, How long? That, it was How- um, for three months. So four rounds over three months. How long was each round? Um, it was just um, an infusion. For, One infusion? Yeah, for, you know, uh, an hour and a half, two hours. Okay. Okay. Where did you have the infusions done? Um, SCCA. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, then there's the whole hair journey. <laughs> So, you know, it's hard to believe that I was, you know, bald two and a half years ago. That's your natural hair? Uh-huh. Wow. Except it's really curly now and it never used to be. Really? Did it come back the same color? Um, a little grayer. <laughs> what came back grayer? Yeah. So funny side note. So I, I had a stem cell transplant. When my hair grew back, it grew back black. And I used to have like very salt and pepper hair. And now it's there again, but it took about seven or eight years before it started getting gray again. So the hair journey is a thing. So tell me about when it started falling out though. Um, How'd you approach that? So um, there's a thing called cold capping where you can put in, and I opted to try it and, but I don't recommend it because it's, it's a lot of work. So they have you put on, um, they have you um, wear this kind of like bathing cap thing that's really, and it's freezing. And you sit there like ahead of time during your chemo and then after. But the machine was broken. Like it stopped working partially through. What? And um, so. It started frying your head? It, it, no, it it didn't. No, it just didn't. wasn't like freezing, and it wasn't cold enough. Wow. So I ended up. Um, so I ended up losing my hair anyhow, which was good because you had to be so gentle. You could only wash your hair with a certain shampoo. You couldn't really, you know, not you couldn't touch it or pull on it, and and you and still end up losing thirty to fifty percent of your hair. And at that point, it was just. You know, I, my hair was always really thick and strong anyhow. So to have hair that I had a like baby on top of everything else I was going through, it just wasn't worth it. Not worth it. Well, so cold capping. So it sounds like it's properly named, at least if it works. But where yeah. was, where'd you have that done at? Was at that through the SCCA? Yeah, they, it's um, a company that they've partnered with. Hmm. And I think a lot of younger people really like to do it and people who work a lot and don't want to lose their hair, don't want to I wear see. a wig and stuff like that. But you're, because you're losing part of your hair, parts of it, I had a girlfriend who did it, you know, so parts of her hair were like this, other was like that. And yeah. it just gets a little, gets a little weird. A little wonky. So did it, yeah. it fall all the way? Oh all, yeah. Uh, and, and so I had it, my hair was like 
pretty long. And then I had gotten it cut up to about here. And then I remember a girlfriend and I went to go look at the tulips and I'm pulling hair out of my head and throwing it out the car window. I'm at work, I'm pulling hair out. I'm like, Bill, can you quit doing that? It was very disconcerting. Yeah. It was in, cause I mean, I had a really thick, you know, it was kind of like a part of me, you know, I mean, it was uh, a part of me, but it was, yeah. oh, so your hair, you know, it was a big part of me. So. Right. Yeah. How, how long a, a period did it take from the time it kind of started getting loose until it was all, all your hair was gone? How um, long was that? Well, it was like a day or two. And then I had a girlfriend who's a hairdresser. She shaved my head. Mm. And nice. I had another friend with me holding my hand and, you know, it was, a, it was a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I could see that being, you know, emotional and, and did you have any plans or thoughts as soon as your hair was gone about what you would do? Like, had you planned on, and was it time to look into like doing a wig or, or um, like wear hats or had you even thought about it at that point? Um, well, I started thinking about it pretty fast at that point, um, but I, wigs just made me, I felt like I looked fake in a wig, and I had some good ones, and actually free ones from SCCA, I had a really good one, but I just never liked wearing it, because I guess I'm always like this, and it just, you know, gets a little... <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was hot, it's in the summer, and it just was, and, I'm, and again, um, the other thing, you know, I, I do like to stay really active. And so I ended up joining an organization called Team Survivor Northwest. And so they provide, they, they, their goal is, you know, physical and emotional well-being of cancer survivors. So I ended up joining um, a healthy woman, active woman class on twice a week. And, you know, as much as I could do, usually the first week I couldn't, or the second week I couldn't go, but by the third week I was okay to go. So, and it was just a very... You were feeling well enough physically to start um, participating? Up, it, it went up and down and you could kind of, a lot of these workouts, you could kind of do as much as you could do. Right so some days were better than others. So again, I think just staying active and there's been so many articles about staying active. Sure. Um, is, it, is it the type of thing where you're working out with a group of, pe of people? Like, mm -hmm. are you co-located? Um, did you, was there a sense of camaraderie? Like, did you enjoy that aspect of it or was, did that factor into the equation for you? Yeah. What I loved about it, it was working, it was, you know, working out with like-minded people who are there to be strong and healthy. And they were all, I mean, some people were 18 year survivors. Some people were, you know, a year out or a couple months out. Um, it all varied, but it wasn't a woe is me group. It wasn't a support group where you're sitting around talking about your cancer obviously if you had questions or you needed to talk about something you know everybody was there to help yeah and that's that was team survivor northwest mm -hmm. wow what an awesome organization it I, is and all those classes are free and so even with covid they've gone to zoom for these classes very cool well, yeah, another um, really neat thing is after all the treatment and everything else, um, you know, still continued with them. And they had a mid, they also have, um, they do dragon boating, um, cycling, triathlon. It was actually started by uh, Julie Graylo, who's in, Dr. Julie Graylo, who's in charge of SCCA, the women's center there. Because um, wow. people wanted to do triathlon training. And so, yeah. she, and then there's been all this research that exercising is really good. Um, for cancer survivors, and it's important. Yeah, I I agree. There's the I'm a leukemia survivor, and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society has this whole branch of fundraising called Team in Training, mm -hmm. and it's the same type of thing: training for marathons, triathlons, uh, you know, bike rides, things like that. So it's super effective. Yeah, and even um, um, so much so that um, I went to one of their retreats and I ended up signing up to climb Mount Adams. And so last summer I summited with them. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Last summer? Yeah. How long did you train with them to, to get ready for that? Um, April to August. But again, I had been working out all along anyhow, but it was the hiking stuff. It was the backpack. Yeah. You know, because I carried 45 pounds up there, not to the summit, but to, you know, our camp. Where yeah. We camp out, so. 
so did, how did that work? Did you guys, do you guys meet there at the base and then go up together or do you ride yeah, over to you? Yeah, we had Mountain Madness was our guide. And so they, they guided us up um, and, you know, helped out with that. But we had training, um, you know, once a week, twice a week. And um, we'd all hike together or separately, you know, depending if you, you know, had other plans or whatever. Sure. So, yeah, it was pretty amazing. So now I, you know, I'd love to hike now. And I never used to, I used to just go in the woods behind my house. But now, you know, I love, you know, getting out there. What, what, so was that last August, you said? Mm-hmm. Wow, very cool. Awesome. Yeah. And actually, um, so they were supposed to have a climb to Mount St. Helens this year, but because of COVID, it got canceled. But a couple of the um, women wanted to do it on their own. And so they actually just summited yesterday. Wow, really? Yeah. Oh, that's that's really interesting. It's it's good to hear they're open though, because we're actually planning on going to Mount St. Helens next week, and we were hoping oh, that it would be open. Yeah, it's open. You Very need cool. a you need a um, pass though. Right on. Very cool. Yeah. So um, yeah, so I went through my chemo from March to May, and then um, because I had um, through the testing and everything else, because I had a spot in the margin still. And I had a spot in one of my lymph nodes. Um, there went radiation. And so unfortunately with radiation, it's not really, it's an opposing force to reconstruction. Um, so they can still radiate with the expander in, but it, it's kind of like, I guess my plastic surgeon said, it's kind of like, you know, bacon. <laughs> Microwave <laughs> right. bacon, it, it you know. It hardens the like, tissue. Yeah. It, yeah, and it's not workable and... Yeah. Yes, the result isn't as good, but it's it's fine, you know. Um, so I went through radiation. I had like five and a half weeks of radiation um, from July, sorry, June, the end of June to the end of July, and then um, and then in October I started um, in on tamoxifen. So to tell me about the, the chemo had some obviously effects on your hair. What, how did, how otherwise did it affect you? Did you get, did you feel sick, tired? Did it affect any of that in you? Or um, was it more the physical, the hair loss, things like that? Um, yeah, I, I didn't feel nauseous, but um, I, you know, you feel spooky. And um, I'm not one who loves to take a lot of pills and, and, you know, you spend your whole life trying to take stuff that's healthy for you. And here you are knowing you're going to be putting this poison in you. And it's like, it, you know, and so it's funny because they asked if I wanted to um, have a, was it a Xanax beforehand? <laughs> and, um, and, and I'm probably the only, you know, person who's anxious to take an anti-anxiety pill. But then I'm like, well, it's the one thing that actually will probably make me feel better. So sure. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, um, it was, it was all right. I mean, the day of, cause I took, I also had to take a steroid with it. So, you know, you're not sleeping, you feel spooky. And then, um, and then after 10 days after chemo, you have, I had to, um, self-inject with, um, this something called Granix, which helps with the white blood cell count. And so I've never given myself an injection before. And so that was kind of freaky. Was that, did you inject into your stomach? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that the, is the needles super sh short and tiny? Yeah. Is, is, uh, yeah. So I, I had that to prepare my stem cells for the transplant. Yeah. And the thing I noticed was the needles, no big deal. And, and particularly you probably had this too. Like you start to get comfortable with kind of getting poked and prodded. So the needle's not a big deal. But what I noticed with that shot is the injection itself, the stuff going in, if you Stop. push it too fast is very painful. Like it packs a punch. <laughs> Did you notice that? I don't, it, it, it stung a little bit. I mean, huh. and sometimes it hurt at all. Sometimes it would hurt. We probably something a little bit different, but then I had to take Claritin offset for the bone pain. And, you know, so I had like a whole list of things. And then, you know, I took a bunch of glutamine to offset for neuropathy if that could happen. And, you know, oh. it's just like, you know, well, I had a whole spreadsheet of stuff and then just keeping track of side effects and whatnot, but wow. you just feel spooky and, you know, and I would go walking and I just remember one day I was out walking with a friend and I felt like I was walking through water or mud. 
And I got home and I just felt like I could never get home. I was so tired. <laughs> I yeah. just like burst out into tears. And so I think I slept for like three hours. Oh, and then man. I realized when I'm on like day three or four, not to go do that. <laughs> Probably a good <laughs> note to take. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Joe, I want maybe back up a little bit. I have some questions about like, where was your family in all this? Where's your husband and your kids? And what, you know, what support did you have? Or, I mean, if any or whatever that helped, that helped you, right? Get through some of this stuff, right? Yeah, um, I had a lot of support. I was very lucky. And actually, I thought about that when I got diagnosed. I'm like, oh my gosh, my kids could be, you know, under 10 um, or under five, five and under. Um, you know, so I knew, you know, they were going to be pretty self-sufficient. You know, that part of it, I was really lucky about. My job was very flexible. I could work from home even before COVID. And, um, and so I knew I was grateful for all that. And, you know, my husband was amazingly supportive and, you know, when we got diagnosed and we started getting the results in, the big question was, how are we going to tell people? And, you know, he kind of interviewed me and we came up with a letter and we, you know, what was important to me and, and I didn't want my kids to have to hide it from anyone. And breast cancer, it's like one in eight. It might even be less than that now. I'm not even sure women who get it. It's so common. I mean, it's like, well, you know, as common as the flu, basically. <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, I just didn't want it to be a taboo thing or, you know, have them worry that they couldn't talk to their friend who was going to tell their mother who was going to be like weird about it. And I didn't want that to be a stressor for me or for them. So we wrote a letter and we emailed it out to everybody basically saying, you know, um, I want to hear about everyone's tennis games. I want to hear what's going on in your life. Um, um, even referenced an article of, you know, things, you know, that can be helpful to somebody going through this. Um, oh, and, really? To kind yeah. of educate people on ways they yeah. could help. Okay. Yeah. And it literally took me about, and we had some, you know, my husband and I laugh a lot and we have a lot of, he's a little bit of a dark humor. And so um, we, you know, incorporated that in there as well. And we just, you know, so it took me, once the letter was written, it took about, I'd say a good 20 minutes before I could hit send on it. Mm -hmm. And then I was so glad I did because the amount of support and love that came through from my friends and family was just remarkable. And then you, you know, there's so many other people who shared their story with me and it was just, it was just a huge relief. And I felt so bad for people who don't share this with other people. Cause they like, you know, they don't want anybody to know or anything. Yeah. And it just made a huge difference being open about it. Yeah. I, you find I out you're not alone, right? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I I couldn't even imagine. I, like I said, a close friend experienced it, and I, I had no idea of the magnitude. It's, it's around us all the time. And people want to help. They want to share their stories too. And so, yeah. I mean, Joe, that's that, that's one hundred percent the reason I'm doing this podcast. Um, it is so that hopefully we can't, my goal is just to flood this thing with stories of so many people who have been through these types of challenges and come out like you did, right? Like on the other side, victorious, um, you know, and, uh, you, you've beat the thing. Um, and, and so that's my hope is just to shine light on all of those positive stories that are out there. And um, can you tell me though, I, I didn't really ask, I guess, I, I know you said when you were first diagnosed that your mind kind of went to mom, right? And her experience <laughs> with this. How much of kind of your, I guess, mindset or your mental approach towards this um, was driven based on the information that you were getting versus um, just a gut feeling or a mental model about how you were going to approach it. Um, I'm just curious to find, just to be perfectly frank, uh, anytime in my experience, anybody that I know that's been diagnosed with cancer, like there's a, no matter the, the scenario or type, there's a fear that sets in. I think it's really natural. 
How pervasive was fear, concern, you know, early on? And how did that change kind of throughout your journey? Well, I think the, you know, I think they call you patient, a patient for a reason, because you have to keep being patient, waiting for these results to come in. And, and, you know, wait, it was a lot of waiting. And, and, you know, until you have a plan, it is very disconcerting. And, you know, your mind goes, well, what if, what if, what if, and then even if, you have a plan, I found that that changes, you know, the goalpost, you know, keeps changing on that. Um, But yeah, no, it was, you know, super scary. But I also knew, you know, that I never thought I was gonna, you know, I had the privilege of knowing, you know, that there was a good cure rate for this, um, for my kind of cancer, and that I was extremely lucky, I kind of went into that next level being high risk. And, you know, so I got a taste of some chemo and radiation, but it wasn't, you know, there's, um, you know, it wasn't the high crazy doses of chemo that some people have to have. And, you know, so I was, I kind of went into that next level, but I didn't have to go far into it. And I've been grateful for that. Yeah, that is awesome. So you kind of dipped your toe into it, right? But you didn't have to jump all the way in type of thing. Yeah, kind of what it was. And um, I think the more information you get and the more research that you do. And so it was interesting. So when I was at SCCA, I did speak to um, a radiologist and they just, I didn't want to, one, I didn't want to drive into Seattle every day for it. And two, um, she wasn't hundred percent sure if I should have radiation or not. And I just like, I think I just need a second opinion. So I ended up going, you know, someplace else for radiation. I'm really glad I did because I ended up loving that doctor and it was really helpful and very good about giving information and statistics and why we're doing this. And, Mm. and it was nice not driving into Seattle every day. It was a lot easier. So the, where you went was in Bellevue? Um, In Kirkland. In Kirkland. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's it's interesting because you had such a, a, a I guess a team right at different um, facilities that were providing care from various angles. You know, it's interesting I think for our users to consider like look at there's value in that potentially right in having a diverse set of opinions and different eyeballs on your situation to all kind of provide their own insights and not get locked into kind of maybe groupthink or just what one, you know, facility had, what their mindset is. So that's a, you know, I don't know that you did that on purpose, but it seems like it worked out really well. It, it did. It's just a little bit of a pain trying to coordinate it all. Whereas if everybody's all together, which is what I really wanted, um, you know, it, it makes it a little easier to kind of coordinate, but yeah. Sharing uh, your records had to be a nightmare. Yeah, a little was that bit. a challenge? <laughs> you know, because everyone had different record systems. And oh goodness! One of that. Then I had my primary care, and then my naturopath, and you know, and I did a lot of you know acupuncture and you know things like that to help offset some of the um, some of the um, side effects. Are you a really? Would you consider yourself a really organized person? No. <laughs> so who handled all that work? Because that that's legit. I did. For that, I did. Yeah that i i mean so, i can be organized i'm just not organized all the time you had to stretch i had to stretch a little bit yeah flex, flex that organization muscle yeah, <laughs> yeah Very exactly cool. so yeah so um so that was so october of um 2018 i started tamoxifen then in december i had the expander um january i had the expander taken out because after you've had radiation you need to wait six months before that skin is um, able to have surgery again. Okay. Then um, I wasn't crazy about the result. Everything was a little wonky. And and because I just had an implant put in and not my own, um, you know, because that was another surgery I didn't want to have, you know, because they can sometimes take, you know, the fat from your stomach and, you know, and it's a really nice result, but it's a bit of a surgery. Mm. And I just was like as easy as possible. And, um, but it just, I had a lot of um, like rippling and my nipple was off center and everything was just kind of weird. And so I went in after a year and I decided to just get it fixed. He said it would take like, you know, half an hour. And turns out he just switched the implant and got rid of a ton of scar tissue. So I actually, and I just had that done in December. Oh, wow. 
And um, I, it just felt so much better getting rid of that extra scar tissue. So I think, you know, with reconstruction, it's not like a one and done thing. Interesting. It's like a one and then another one and possibly another one and maybe another one. <laughs> How cool is it though that that's an option? I didn't even, yeah, I didn't even know. I didn't even think about that, but to kind of iterate, right? Like we'll dial it in, we'll get it a little bit better this time and kind of move towards perfection. Yeah, type it's of just thing. my skin got so, you know, and I did everything I could to, you know, they took collagen and, you know, and did other things to try to help with that. But, you know, it just is what it is. And so it's still not, I still have like some rippling and stuff, but at least everything's lined up where it should be. So I'm fine with it. I don't care. To support the Full of Hope podcast, please go to the Support the Podcast page on fullofhopepodcast.com. If you believe in our goal to help people through difficult situations by being able to hear the positive outcomes of those who've been through them themselves, your support will be huge to help us grow. Yeah, so I found that basically it's the, um, you know, going through this was, you know, it was important to stay active you know, get a second opinion, get a third opinion, um, you know, know your, know your own body, you know, you know, learn, you know, signs and symptoms and how to check yourself. Your journey also takes different directions, you know, and you kind of have to just go with it because you just don't know. I also found that um, helpful when I was waiting for results instead of like getting frustrated waiting for them i real I, I switched it around and i said well you know at this point nobody can touch me so i made it my time oh that's awesome so well, that, it wasn't perfect but it helped yeah <laughs> and um the old um probably before your time leo biscaglia quote or whatever you know don't let tomorrow's worries rob you of today's joy that was something I had to repeat every day, especially in the beginning when I didn't know what was going on right. and what you're imagined is going to happen and versus what actually happens. Um, you know, sense of humor was huge. Um, so tell me about some of the things, or can you, I mean, you don't, you don't, <laughs> if you don't want to, you don't have to, but I'm interested to, to hear some of the things that you found funny or, or humor in. Um, can you give any so, examples? Yeah. So, um, you know, the Toy Story baby with like the little strands of hair sticking up. Um, the I, scary baby. Yeah. You know, and they had like, well, I think it was like from Toy Story one actually, or maybe two, I'm not sure, but it had like those little, like, you know, little plugs of hair standing up. Yep. I took a screenshot of me with no hair and that baby. And then I wrote under it who wore it better. And then did a poll. Amazing. Yeah, and so everyone thought my husband did that, and like that was so mean. He goes, "No, she did." Funny. Um, oh, that's good. The night before my mastectomy, my brother, um, my brother, it was really awkward. He didn't know what to say, and he's like, "Well, Joe, there's a reason things happen," and like, you know, people can totally say the wrong thing but mean well, and you have to just kind of keep that perspective and know where their heart is. So Ryan does I does that really... all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I've made a life of it. Yeah. yeah. So I wasn't in the mood to hear it then, but I'm like, well, thanks. Yeah, I got to go. I'm like, there's not, a, you know, I didn't want to have a reason to be helping other, you know, this isn't why I'm going through this. I don't want to hear it. So he called me back and it turns out that is the truth, which I knew it would be, but I just didn't want to hear it then. No. And, uh, or ever. And, um, <laughs> And so he called me back a couple of days after my surgery and he goes, I just read an article on the 10 things not to say to cancer patients. And he goes, shall we go through them? And it was like, you know, the David Letterman top 10 and his was number five. You know, we read through them. We had a good laugh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so hilarious. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> you know, I want that list. I was I just going to say, we need to see that list. And also yeah. It'd be a good list. Like, you know how you gave your your supporters like some tips on how they could maybe adding a link to that list would be a good thing that they could review before they get in touch with you. After the well, whole. we actually did. Um, what was her name? Um, um, from was it from Yahoo? Um, I'm having a senior chemo moment. So um, blame it on the chemo. 
yes, I don't know. So it, it um, she, her, she had lost her husband. She's very, um, she's at Facebook now, but I think she, um, she wrote an article and it was really helpful. And so we put, we did attach an article on, on, on that. And so that was good. Um, and then, you know, I think, you know, as you go along, you lose so many things along the way, but you gain so many things and, you know, the silver linings like the team survivor Northwest and, um, you know, and I've gotten super involved, you know, with them now and, um, and, you know, we're shifting gears and that's what we do. You know, when COVID happened, it was like, wow, I feel totally prepared to go through this. I've been wiping down planes all along. Anyhow, I've been wiping doorknobs down. I've been, you know, not obsessively, but you know, when you're going through chemo, you have to be a little careful. Yeah. And so, and we're used to kind of, you know, having things thrown at you. So, you know, I think as a group, we've been able to just sort of adjust and we have our gala coming up in October and that's going to be virtual. So that's a whole new set of skills. And yeah. So wow. Have you done, have you done any of the galas in the past? Um, that I were went, in person? I went to two of them. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they were, you know, a lot of fun and we, it was a great, we raised a lot of money. And then, you know, we had a lot of, you know, fundraisers through the mountain climbs and through whatnot, but, you know, we don't obviously have that um, right. with COVID. And so, you know, the auction is going to be pretty important. Yeah. Very cool. As far as making sure we can keep these programs going. Um, and then the other thing is communication was really important and you know you asked about my kids and my oldest said to me he goes you know it wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be because we talked about it and I you know he saw me and you know I wasn't afraid to go around the house without having you know I wasn't afraid to be bald around the house and or to talk about it with them and so you know and that, and that was huge so a transparency yeah. Right. Yeah. Transparency with those who are caring for you. You found that yeah. helpful and they found it helpful. It sounds like. Absolutely. And so, and I also realized going through it, it was pretty much the most vulnerable, vulnerable yet strongest time um, in my life. Did you feel like some of that strength? Do you feel like that built some additional grit in your mindset kind of going forward? Do you feel more versatile, more, um, empowered like has has there have there been any longer term effects on your mindset so far oh yeah I mean I think you know especially going up Mount Adams it we went very slowly because there was all different levels of um where people were at so it it wasn't a fast way up but it was a steady way up and you know, I was always so like, oh, we need to get to the top. We need to get to the top. And it wasn't about that. It was just like, oh, we just need to take a step at a time, a step at a time, a step at a time. And then eventually you get there. Like, I'm like, oh, wow, we made it to the fall summit. Oh, my gosh, we made it to the summit. Like, I was surprised because I just people said, oh, it takes forever to get up there. And so I, in my mind, I thought we'd never get there. And so yeah. it was a big surprise when we were. You know, Joe, it's actually a really cool metaphor for life, I think, right? So you get together with a group of people who can support you. And mm -hmm. if you take things kind of just methodically and just kind of continue to push push ahead and move forward, like you'll it can be really surprising the things you can achieve. And I bet that was just spectacular when when you reached the summit. Oh, it was amazing. It was really amazing. And now um and now I've, you know, unfortunately, I have friends or friends of friends who've been diagnosed, and I've been able to help them throughout it as well. And um, the other thing is, you know, my, um, my folks live in um, California, and my, my dad has Alzheimer's, but my stepmom just got diagnosed with lung cancer. But because of what I'd been through, um, and because of COVID, I was able to go with her to all her appointments virtually and you know help her along and you know it's a different it's a completely different kind of cancer and different situation entirely but it was helpful you know at least to be able to help her through it oh completely so think about it from her perspective right like you've you've been through the experience even though it's a different type of cancer you've got that confidence of at least being able to have conversations gather information and really, I, I bet it was really has been impactful for her to have you by her side, virtually at least. 
Yeah, no, it was good. And then I was able to take notes and send them off to the family because I think, you know, as you know, when you're hearing all this information, your mind goes cancer and then everything else is like, or chemo. And then you're like, oh, I don't want to go through that. <laughs> yeah. I gave the awesome podcasting uh, sign, hand sign of going completely blank when you hear that stuff. So it doesn't, doesn't work that well for pod, but essentially, yeah. <laughs> You go, I mean, definitely things can go very radio silent or, you know, uh, there were times when I just, all I could hear was like my own heartbeat. It was really weird and I could like feel it in my organs, but uh, yeah, that stuff definitely takes over. So having, having, you know, somebody by your side who can help provide, you know, input, whether it's a spouse or, or, you know, uh, uh, a stepdaughter or you know niece, whatever, and having anybody by your side is super powerful. And if you can be that for somebody, um, that can be really, really an awesome way to help them out. I think. So, Joe, I got a question that we haven't talked about yet that I kind of think is important. You're our first, um, you're our first breast cancer, right, mm -hmm. survivor, um, and uh, our I think our last guest who had prostate, but we're kind of in a sensitive area, right, where um, and, and I don't know if, if you experienced it, um, I, I, I have with, with the person that, um, that I went through it with, but, um, did you have, like, what was the impact mentally on, like, do you, did you feel, did you still feel like, Hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a woman. Did you have to talk to your husband about, you know, what it's going to be like afterwards? Um, it might be a tough tough conversation but I know I because I've experienced this and I just don't know if it happens across the board um, and if there's anything that our listeners would be you know could help our listeners with that so before you yeah. answer Joe I just want to thank RJ for that's a tactful way to ask that question look this is tough as guys to, to, and, she, and talking with talking people we don't guys. know right it's it's a touchy question to ask but it's a very i think a very valid question so well it's also visible you know it's not like having melon you know it's not like nope. you know ovarian well you know it, it's not hidden and so it's funny the gym that i went to when i ended up telling one of the trainers i mean he's he's a sweetheart and he um you know, he's kind of like a, a puppy dog, you know, he just sort of says what he feels. And so when I told him what had happened, he felt horrible about it. But then he's just looking at my, um, he's looking at my breath. <laughs> and I called him out on it. It's just an excuse. It's just get one last look. And he's like, is that too awkward? I'm like, no. It's, you know, it's like, you know, don't look. And of course, you know, that's where you're going to look. <laughs> So we had a good laugh about it. He was horrified, but um, I thought it was pretty funny. Um, oh, that's good. So um, I think, you know, you, there's definitely things you could definitely get bent about, but that's not, that wasn't going to be one of them, you know, especially it was, I, I, in a way, I kind of appreciated the honest approach, <laughs> but yes, it is a part of you um, and, you know, and it is a visual thing and people don't, you know, you hear breast and it just, you know, it's also, you know, a, um, you know, it's a, um, it's so objectified in, mm. in, um, society. So it is kind of a weird, awkward sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and even for me in the beginning now, it's like a foot, you know, and, mm. you know, I have no feeling <laughs> and so it, um, on that side anyhow. And so it's, it's a redef, everything's a redefining. And so you kind of redefine what is sexy, what is this but you know being on a i mean worse than that is being on an anti you know an estrogen blocker mm. you know if you want to start feeling old <laughs> uh, okay and well, so i just and i because that because that throws you into and I, I don't know your age but that immediately throws you into menopause right whether you um, wanted it or not right yeah so actually i'm i was 52 and i'm 55 now i was 52 and i was diagnosed and um and actually was not in menopause yet, but chemo threw me into it pretty violently overnight. And it's funny because prior to this whole cancer thing, my biggest fear was going through menopause. And then that ended up being a side effect. Mm. Um, and, but 
but then after chemo, things kind of squared out a little bit. And then tamoxifen, I went through, you know, another sort of, you know, hot flashes, emotional, all sorts of weird stuff. And then that sort of evened out. And then they just switched me to um, an aromatose inhibitor, which is works for postmenopausal women. And so I've actually been three weeks on that. And that's been a whole other slew of, you know, that one's not great for your bones and your joints and, you know, hot flashes and everything else, but it seems to be sort of settling out. And I honestly think it's because of exercising. Yeah, that's a good, that's a great point. And I am going through acupuncture as well to kind of help offset some of those symptoms. Like the minute I switched, I'm like, I'm started back up on that. So did you, had you always been doing acupuncture just as a personal health thing, or you started doing that early on and after you were diagnosed? Yeah, through chemo. Okay. And, you know, SCCA now actually has a, um, acupuncturist on staff and a naturopath on staff and um it's um you know it's all part of the holistic approach to you know making you know trying to make you feel better at least doing something that you think is you know did acupuncture help it i don't think it hurt i i can't say definitively oh i felt so much better but I didn't feel worse and maybe I would have felt worse had I not done it. You so got it's it. very subtle. Yeah. It's um, one of those hard things. It's probably hard to quantify really. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm just going to circle back one last time on RJ's question though. So sure. to what extent, if any, did like your physical appearance or other people's opinions of you, like I think, you know, I'm a husband. So think of your husband. To what extent did his thoughts about, the approach you guys should take in terms of um, whether to do a mastectomy or just treat the the region? Like, how did those things play in, if oh, at all? He, he, I mean, first off, he didn't want me to die. He wanted me to do everything I possibly could to, you know, to be around. So he's always been um, very supportive, you know, through weight gains, weight losses, all that. And um it's never been, I've never doubted that. Um, it's, you know, it was hard because I think, you know, not feeling well and being on medicines that make you feel older and, and all that I think can be, you know, difficult. So it's, you know, finding ways to kind of, um, you know, help out offset some side effect. And, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm lucky he's very supportive. Um, the other thing is that they're doing now, um, with cancer survivors is, um, or at least with breast cancer survivorship clinic. And so now they, they will compile all your records and then also go through every single side effect and give you options of, oh, you can do this for this, you can do this for this. And then this is something you can give your primary care physician to make sure he's there, he or she is on board. And and so I think they're doing a much better job of trying to handle those kinds of things. I mean, that's an awesome resource because it's uh, something that I experienced after my treatment was it's really daunting to even think about going and finding like a general practitioner just because I know or you're faced, you probably have the same thing. You're going to be faced with the situation of having to fill out a medical history at a new caregiver provider or whatever. And it's like, uh, depending on what you've gone through, that can be so much. And some of it may be even hard to recall or remember. So having, you know, a resource that can compile all that stuff is really awesome. That's really neat. Yeah. And um, the other thing I learned too is that, you know, so I had that genetic testing done. And so the company said, you know, call them every year and see if anything's changed because they are discovering new genes and new um, new things that, you know, might not have been when you had your testing done. Because I don't even know who my genetic counselor is at this point, but I do know I still have my, I know the company that I went through and I have called. And they can use the same um, sample that you've already given and uh, p- potentially apply new tests to it? I don't know about that. Oh. I just, nothing has changed. Um, Got you. Oh, I see. So I, see. I, I don't know where I don't, and I, I do know sometimes they will have you retest, but yeah. Um, I'm not sure what can come out of it, but that is um, one of the things that the um, company did mention. I mean, I think that's really good advice. It is just to kind of stay uh, up to date with current testing capabilities and what is available out there. 
So um, how about, so you've, you've, you've joined some great teams in, turn, in terms of keeping healthy, staying fit, and an organization for helping. Um, well, with Ripken, it's, you know, they, the educational workshops are for anybody. Um, you know, they go out to the um, Pac-12 colleges. Um, you know, so I've spent a week on a campus, you know, going through like seven workshops in a week, going to sororities, to women's groups, and, you know, trying to get that age group so they know to start checking what to look for. That's amazing. Good for you. Like, that's really impressive. Do you, do you, do you enjoy doing that type of thing? Um, I do now. I don't love public speaking, so that's why I chose to do it. And like, I've never done a podcast so <laughs> here we go yeah, no hey this is the best one on the planet just set expectations you hit the jackpot yeah, yes. you. Wow. first try amazing oh, excellent <laughs> well we're so thankful joe that uh you know that you were able to to find such great treatment and have a complete recovery um, really excited to hear all the things that have kind of, you know, changed in your life in terms of connecting with other people. So, you know, I just want to thank you for, for taking the time to sh- share your story with us. And uh, I, I think people are really likely to hear this and, and get a lot out of the discussion and, you know, things they can take away from what you've shared. Well, thank you. And I think it's a, a it's, it's nice to have you know, some silver linings and some good news come out of something, you know, come out stronger, you know, because of it. I mean, there's been some, um, you know, there's just been, you know, people mean well, um, and it's more what they want to make themselves feel better as opposed to what you actually want. I mean, I went to my local grocery store and, and I forgot to wear my baseball hat and, um, I had a scarf thing on and, um, and so she's like, oh, I didn't, you know, Clark, I'm not even sure her name, but she's like, oh, I didn't realize you were going through something. And so she came out from behind the register and I thought she was going to say, can I give you a hug? And she came out, she grabbed my hand, the bagger grabbed my hand and we're doing a prayer circle in the middle of the grocery store at like 8 a.m. And, you know, and, you know, I'm Jewish, but, you know, I'll take whatever prayers I can get, but it wasn't, you know, it was more what she needed to do as opposed to what I needed to do, but I was grateful and I understood where that was coming from. Yeah. Coming from a good place, but yeah, (laughs) maybe don't necessarily start praying over somebody who's a complete stranger, but um, (laughs) who knows? I mean, I've known her. For I mean I you know she's always been there and we've talked oh, and nice. know her know her you know yeah a familiar yeah. acquaintance I guess I think that's great wow or <laughs> a good little funny story to tell later for sure but. it is man Pe- you know it is awesome to see the best in people and I think that you know that tends tends to be a theme that we see in these discussions so yeah really cool right okay. on Joe really appreciate the time and uh, this has been awesome thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Thank really you. Appreciate. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks. Bye, Joe. Right. Yep. Bye. To find information about today's episode, how to support the podcast, or find out how you can share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com. All of our social media info is there, or you can just look on all platforms for Full of Hope Podcast. In the next episode, we'll talk with lymphoma and bone marrow transplant survivor, Christine Howiler. Thank you so much for listening and sharing with a friend. And until next time, this is RJ reminding you that Joe's story is living proof that there is so much reason to be full of hope.